Hey everyone, what's up? Welcome to Show Me the Meaning. Show me the meaning! Yeah! Which just happens to be Wisecrack's one and only and greatest movie podcast. Uh, my name is. Hello. Yes, my name is Michael. I'm here with Ryan. What up, film fans? How's it going? And I'm here with Austin. Yo, what's up? Is everyone having a lovely evening thus far? Oh, it's been great. Another day on Earth. It's been wonderful. Oh, hell yeah. I like how uh, Ryan well, today, has a, a chocolate cigarette, too. I wish I had a chocolate cigarette. I know. I wasn't going to I wasn't gonna say anything because I'm not a narc, but he looks like he's having more fun than the rest of us already. I'm on a diet, but uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's what I need for, for this conversation. Yeah. Well, friends, here's the thing. You know... Does democracy work in general? I don't know. Yeah. Does it work when we when people get to vote on what movie we talk about? Yes. So I can say for certain that the polling numbers that we had this week were completely accurate. And they said this. They said that you wanted to talk about the 2019 anti-hate satire written, directed, starring Taika Waititi, Jojo Rabbit. So that is what we will be doing today, and hope everyone's excited about that. Um, so to get started, what were y'all's initial impressions on this film? Austin, we go. Oh, oh, you go no, for you it. go ahead, brother. <laughs> oh, yeah, you go. Well, I, I just saw this film, and now I want to be extra polite. Um... All right, so I really like Taika Waititi. Um, I think he's a, a wonderful filmmaker. He's got like a really fresh vision, and he is obviously funny as fuck. Um, the first time I saw like what is it, Hunt for the Wilder People, I didn't quite get it, so I had to watch it again, and then I think I started to kind of get it a little bit more. But um, I really enjoy his approach, his style, his filmmaking, uh, and then of course his humor. So I went into this with really high expectations, and. This, again, was one of those kind of like laugh out loud kind of moments or uh, films for me. I was actually watching nice. it in a cafe. I laughed a shitload. It made me feel uncomfortable at times, but I think in a good way, in like a productive, like, why are you feeling uncomfortable way? Um, I think uh, the, you the probably made is, the other patrons feel uncomfortable in the cafe as I mean, you just sat there laughing at a screen. So, yeah, that's a dancing <laughs> Hitler on screen. Look at that shit. Ha ha ha. <laughs> Hopefully they knew what the movie was. Yeah, I know, I know. So, but I thought it was I thought it was really good. I actually I know that there was some um there's like some critical divide and and I think that we'll probably get into the reasons why. But I really like this mm -hmm. film. I think it's fucking hilarious. I think it's interesting. And I think one of the things I like more than anything is that we're so used to just thinking about Nazism as evil, right? But I think what you get in this is that also Nazism is stupid. And I think for me that was something <laughs> that was kind of mm. funny. You know, mm. so I, yeah. I like I like that a little bit. That's great. Ryan, what did you think after watching or rewatching Jojo Rabbit? Yeah, I rewatched it. So I've seen it twice now. Um, and I have the exact opposite take of of Austin. I think. Oh, this, wow. I think this movie is pretty lame, conflict. honestly. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, no. I, I, I'm also a Taika fan. You know, I, I, I think he's great. And honestly, I don't it's not it's weird because my thoughts in this movie like I, I think he's good intentioned in making this movie. Like like like, and and he's a great filmmaker. But I just this movie just does not work for me at all on on any level. Mm. And and I don't really like like there's some funny stuff here and there scattered throughout. But just like the conceit alone, like I'm kind I kind of like especially after the second time I'm like who is this movie for really? Because to me it, it it it's kind of dumbed down enough so much to where it's like for seemingly for kids because like the movie is so surface level of just hate it like you said hate is stupid don't do it 
You know, like, like, uh, and I guess, you know, you get into like the brainwashing of children and stuff, but like, like it's, it's, to me, it was like too watered down for adults to make it, you know, but also too kind of heavy for kids, for most kids to want to watch it and like have fun (laughs) with it. So I'm kind of like, to me, it, it, it was a weird, like the aesthetic was weird too. It's like a, a Wes Anderson Holocaust yeah. film, you know, which is kind of like something I don't. <laughs> That's kind of why I, one of the reasons I liked it. I'm glad you said that. When I first saw the trailer before I knew it was uh, Waikataititi, I thought it was Wes Anderson. Wow. Well, well okay. so is, I mean, it, I, it, it, yeah. and it's one of those things where it's like it, it, I I don't fault people for not for for liking this movie. I think it's just a kind of a taste thing. Like like it's a well made film. Just like the humor doesn't work for me either. Like like him as his Hitler. The whole conceit of him being an imaginary friend as Hitler. Like at first, I wanted to like that conceit. Like when I saw the trailer, I'm like, oh, that's pretty fucking dark, you know, and 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 transgressive. Like I I like the concept of that, but then his performance of it just. I never laughed in this movie, really. Like, I laughed when that little kid wow. kept surviving when he should have been getting blown up the whole time. That, that the, the, the dorky <laughs> kid. Um, that was about the only thing that really worked for Yorkie. me. So sorry, everyone that liked this movie. If I'm shitting on your favorite film. Um, but I really, this movie I thought was really stupid. Okay, so if if Ryan has the the adult take and Austin has the childish take, I think I have the take of a, a teen who's starting to have some big ideas about life, but but still has a, a childish spirit. Because uh, I, I liked it. I mean, I saw it, so I've seen it twice, uh, and just rewatched it again today. There's parts of the movie I really like and things that I think are really done. Um, and I think some of the performances in the movie were, were fantastic. Really so done think, or dumb? Uh, well oh, done. Well, I don't well think done. I said okay, dumb. Sorry, I missed that word. I think I said well done. Right I don't right. know why I had to question right. what I just said two seconds ago. I didn't even have a fun jazz cigarette. But, I, yeah, but I really have two minds about it. Parts of the film I really like. Parts I don't like. I think I enjoyed the non-comedic elements of the film better than the comedic elements. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically, the, the final act of the film. I did like some of the choices that were made. We'll obviously talk about this a little bit more later. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I just wonder. I, I don't know if what if he set himself up for the success and I don't know if he could have, cause I, I keep thinking, could you truly make a really spot on satire about, you know, Nazi world war two with the level of depth that would satisfy everyone? Probably not, but I'll hmm. say this. I, I think it was a, a solid movie. I was a very solid movie. I don't think it was bad. I don't think it was great. I think it was solid. Uh, but so we have a uh, dad, teen son, pesky younger stepbrother because dad remarried and I'm trying to treat him like my real brother. But I have issues because we look different <laughs> and I'm having to learn about some things where this movie comes into play. So before we really get into it, Mel Brooks um, does some pretty time. good, you know, Holocaust uh, sat- satirical stuff. You know, it can be done. You're right. Mel- no, no. Mel Brooks is good at the Holocaust. Uh, and I think uh, Charlie Chaplin did some stuff, too. Uh, which I think is good. Those are probably the two good so examples, a, yes. Yeah, those are the two, <laughs> and now we've exhausted those for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> um, so quick summary, in case anyone saw this and forgot, because you've seen so many movies, because it's been such an exciting movie year. So this movie is actually based on a book called Caging Skies by an author, and I hope I get their name right, um, Christine Lunens. And the book that it's based on wasn't a funny book. So Awatiti took a serious, uh, pretty fucking sad book and and made a, a funny movie about it. So in the movie, we start with a young boy named Johan. 
Hannes, whose best imaginary friend is Hitler. Starts off by going to a Nazi camp where you learn things like grenade throwing, rabbit killing, and book burning. Um, but Jojo has to leave early after failing in his grenade throwing class, and his post-explosion injuries leave him doing menial tasks for the local Hitler Youth Office. One day at home, he hears a noise in an empty room, and Jojo goes upstairs and finds something which horrifies him to the core. A Jewish girl named Elsa is living in a secret compartment in the wall. Um, she threatens him and steals a special Nazi knife. It's pretty badass. Now, his mom, played by Scarlett Johansson, and I th think she had a great performance. We can talk about it later. She seems oddly happy that the war is almost over, and this tension increases with the Jewish house guest as Jojo tries to research her for an ethnographic study he's writing on Jewish people. Um, though, like an untrained social scientist, he grows too close to his subject and starts to develop feelings. Young anthropologist, distance yourself from your subjects. Jojo's mother tries to keep her Nazi spawn human by reminding him that life is a gift and that dancing and freedom might be more important than systematic genocide. We later find out that just like the subject of Dr. Austin Smith's PhD dissertation, she is secretly a part of the resistance, shouts to Jean-Paul Sartre. But things turn at the end of the film. The Gestapo show up at the house, discover Elsa. She poses as Jojo's deceased sister and survives, but Jojo's mother doesn't. He finds her hung in the streets after following a beautiful butterfly. He then stabs Elsa just a little bit as retribution when he gets home. The bombing begins. The Allied forces show up. And Captain Klenzendorf sacrifices himself so that Jojo doesn't get the firing squad treatment. And his little fat friend Yorkie makes it too. In the end, Jojo and Elsa dance to a David Bowie song, Lights Out. That is the film. And we're going to get into it. But first, um, let's talk about the people that enable us to hang out and do this. Uh, we have a couple great sponsors today. So let's get started with that. First one is Likewise. And I talk about this a lot, but I really mean it. I'm very bad at deciding like what to watch or listen to or view. And currently, my partner, who's real and not imaginary, is out of the country. <laughs> so I get home at night, and I have time to watch maybe things that she wouldn't want to watch with me. We have different tastes. And, and hey, that's fine. You might have a partner with different tastes than you, and love can still exist. Um, but I waste so much of this time I have by myself scrolling through Netflix and Hulu or even looking up music to watch, thinking about what books to read. And that's why Likewise is a good app, because it helps you discover what you should watch or read or listen to next. It's an app that works across all of your streaming services, the ones you already use. And once you set it up, you'll be not only able to get recommendation from friends and family. So if I had it and I was using it and Ryan's using it, I can see what he's liking and be like, awesome, I might like that. Or if Austin's doing it, I could say, oh, I might not like that. I don't know. I don't know whose taste I agree with this week. We'll find out at the end of the podcast. But I can also get recommendations from cool people like celebrities, writers, filmmakers, people to put lists up on. I'm it. not cool. Um, and listen, let's well, I'll decide at the end of the podcast. We're doing a new segment, cool rankings. We'll get to it at the end. Um, <laughs> But you could even, if you if you download Likewise today, which I think you should do because why not, you could recommend Show Me the Meaning to friends. So a friend could see your account and be like, what is this cool movie podcast? I want to listen to it. So I think you should do what I did. Download Likewise today. You can do it on the App Store if you got Apple stuff or the Google Play Store if you're a green text bubble person. Um, and you can go to likewise.com slash meaning to get it right there. It's an amazing way to find fresh new content and culture to consume. Why spend time sitting on the couch searching like a dummy when Likewise could help you? So likewise.com slash meaning, go and do it. Whew. We also know, because I'm too honest about things, I'm bad at doing stuff. I am not focused enough in my craft and practice, which is why I'm liking another service. 
and website called Skillshare. Now, Skillshare is an online learning community, and I love learning communities. Those years I spent as a child in various learning communities, I found them fun. I like learning stuff. And this is one where millions of curious minds come together to continue on their own creative journeys. You got classes on graphic design, photography. You can learn how to make stuff. You can do web development. You're doing crafts. You can do so many things. It's really fun, and you don't have to go to some community center where some creepy old man puts his arm on your shoulder and you don't know if he's the teacher he's just there now i'm currently trying to work on getting better at writing so i checked out this course i think you should check it out too if you're a writer it's called creative writing for all a 10-day journaling challenge taught by emily gould a writer who i've genuinely loved for years she has a a really fun twitter account and she's married to a good writer so they're like a writing power couple and i love power couples um now one of the best parts about using this is that it's super affordable um, especially compared to taking a class at an in-person learning center um the annual subscription is less than ten dollars a month you might have a coffee order that's almost that much or like a coffee and a snack or something but right now you can get two months of free premium skillshare membership for free by going to skillshare.com slash wisecrack that is skillshare.com slash wisecrack you should know wisecrack uh so why not be like me and learn something new in 2020 you're not getting any younger and you probably keep telling yourself oh i'm gonna learn this next year i'm gonna learn this next year you're not do it now um it makes way more sense than getting like a gym membership or like signing up for a class that you're gonna stop going to because parking's hard so go to skillshare.com slash wisecrack today and start that free two-month premium membership um so thanks to both of those sponsors for letting us be here and do this please check them out now let's get into jojo rabbit uh, we, we already had a, some contention just to get started. So who, who wants to start it off? Does anyone have anything they want to say? The floor is yours if you do. But just be nice, okay? We're here to be friends. I said a lot of what I think at the beginning. I mean, uh, I do think it has, you know, stuff to say about, I guess, share or learn bigotry when you're a kid um, and freaking... But, but like, <laughs> kind of like I said at the beginning, though... It's so like to me, I it it never broke the surface. It was just always, you know, mm. it was very much like, all right, we get it. Nazis suck. They're stupid. But like even the Nazis, you know, you you you, you said that 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 it made them look stupid, but and that they're not just monsters like they are in normal movies. I like it in movies, you know, uh, you know, not to get into a too controversial subject that humanize Nazis, you know, it's like, cause they're people, you know, and, and then when you get mm-hmm. into their heads, it makes it that much more powerful how, how a human can do such an evil thing, you know, like, like, so would you say Ryan, that, that, that what this is doing is like the opposite side of the coin for making a Nazi a monster. That, the it's thing, just making them these goofballs. They didn't pick a lane, you know, like Mel Brooks makes some cartoon mm-hmm. characters and and but it's totally in the service of of being a complete set parody, a complete you know slapstick. Like look at these buffoons, you know. And and he was doing it at a different time too. Like now it's like kind of to me like Nazis being shitheads are is so rote, so kind of cliche. And he like he had an opportunity to do something cool with it. He did kind of do something new with it that I hadn't seen. And it is like a kind of a sweet Nazi movie, like in the sense that like you know it's yeah. like. Like very, uh, I don't know, bit, uh, what even the word is, saccharine sweet. Like it's like uh, uh, it's a bit, trying to be, do something positive, which I give him credit for just attempting that. But um, but yeah, I, it, like I said, it didn't. Um, it, it was kind of very. It didn't make me laugh, and it didn't make me think, and it just kind of was lame in my <laughs> at the end of the yeah, day. Yeah, see, I kind of thought it was. I kind of thought it was like the exact opposite that it was precisely humanizing mm. it, but not in a way of like 
like, oh, let's empathize with the Nazi, but more like an exploration of the Nazi imagination. Because that's what I thought this whole film was about. It was about the imagination, the power of the imagination. And so the thing that I was really tuned into for whatever reason was the theme of subverting expectations. So it starts with the very beginning when Fox Searchlight comes up. You know how there's the brum bum brum bum And then what are we expecting? Dun whatever it is, right? It doesn't do that. It goes brum bum brum bum brum bum and then it goes into the music of these German kids singing a song, which so totally it's kind of fucking with you already as the audience saying like, okay, we're going to play with your expectations, which is, all, you know, watching a film is all about playing with the imagination. And we're not just ever watching a film in its own context, especially a film that's about like Nazis. We're thinking about Nazis. We're thinking about children. We're thinking about World War II. We're thinking about history. So we go in with all of these imaginative expectations and immediately we're like, okay, that's going to be subverted. And then you get all this pop music. And the pop music is all sung in German. And then you get like this introduction to Hitler as being like instead of the British invasion, it's like the Hitler invasion. But it's like the Beatle fans and people are screaming mm-hmm. and cheering like it's this fanaticism. But that's all done like that was there's cool. This almost, I agree with you there. Right. And then so there's this there's this sense in which I thought the film was presenting to us um, this really interesting exploration of fanaticism um, of of commitment and then of political hatred, but all through the prism of the imagination. And I think that most stridently comes across at one point, um, Elsa in the wall, she draws a photo, she draws a picture of uh, of Jojo and he's got like this weird distorted head. And he's like, what is this? He's like, this is me with a with a weird head. And she's like, where's the Jew? And she says something like, it's in there. And the, and the idea is, is that the Jew lives in your distorted imagination. And I thought that was really kind of interesting. Yeah, I wondered at that part, too, if she was like, because there's two ways to read that. In one sense, the 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 Jew lives in, like, the imagination of, of the Nazi. In another sense, like, that 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 version of Jewishness is just a created concept put onto the world um, from, like, the Nazi psyche or whatever. So I did yeah. like – I like that a lot, the way in which – I think the the Elsa character was the, I think in in a certain way that my favorite part, but the part I wish they would have done more with, because I think the Elsa character pushed a a lot of interesting questions about ideology. You know, she was the one Mm. who who kind of antagonized Jojo to reveal, I I, I guess, the, the reveal the shallowness of his hatred. You know, Jojo wants to present himself as a badass 10-year-old Nazi. (laughs) But, of course, Elsa, within a few seconds, you know, when he writes the fake letter from Nathan that says, like, I'm Nathan, I don't like you anymore, P.S. I'm fat, she sobs or makes a noise, and he immediately says, oh, never mind, there's more to the letter. I I still want to be with you, and I think Jojo's nice. So, you know, you you see the, the frailty of his psyche, so I, I really enjoyed those moments. And I think, and this is me being a little devil's advocate or at least trying to look at the film through rose-colored glasses, I, I guess there was something there about the psyche of hatred um, yes. and the, the shallowness and the flimsiness of the psyche of hatred. And even the fact that, you know, once again, I think this is maybe what, what Ryan was getting at earlier. Most of us as adults know that, like, most people who are hateful people have a flimsy reason for that hatred and probably haven't yeah. even met the type of person that they hate so much. Right. So to see that encounter of of Jojo with Elsa and the development of their relationship, um, I did find pretty interesting. And I think it got at some ideas. I, I do think the, the character, yeah. 
No, no, yeah. I was going to say there's a romanticism that's in this as well because then related to all of this is that there is like this spark of innocence that is just covered over, that's buried. Like the mom says that, oh, you know, I know that little boy that thought that I invented chocolate mm-hmm. cake and that was sweet and all that stuff is still there. It's just that it's it's stifled. And all of this, I think, is important thinking about Rilke, who is mentioned at least a couple times. And then there's a quote from mm-hmm. Rilke at the end that ends the film. But Elsa quotes Rilke and talks about love. And there's this idea that there is this truth and connection and love that she has with her fiancé, right? And that maybe there's something about the truth of humanity that is actually ultimately good, but that is corrupted by stupid thinking by stupid imaginative ideology that covers over the weird contradictions but rather than cover over it with stupid hate why don't we just tap into the love and that's why the quote from Rilke at the end is like let things happen both terror and beauty I think is the quote right and that's the idea like let it hit you let it confront yourself with the other you know and don't presume that the other is a monster with horns that's just hidden under and that hangs like a bat from the ceiling upside down and stuff like that but that i think that there's a romanticism that that humanity is good and innocent but we just need to allow that to flourish you know hmm i think ryan's been completely convinced and now he loves it i wouldn't say that i just wish it was a funnier movie man i don't know so, so were there any parts you did? So you found it funny when JoJo gets to like run through the bombing and missile fire and he's fired. <laughs> oh, no. You, you No, you like that Yorkie, the friend, doesn't get hurt and keeps surviving, right? That, yeah, that was funny at the very end, you know, when he just kept coming back. That was a good uh, callback every time I laughed. But uh, I'm glad that you brought up the Beatles song at the beginning because when the movie yeah. starts... I'm pumped. Like, like I'm like, okay, this is a cool way to start a movie. And, and you know, having the Beatles, uh, a German version of uh, Hold My Hand, right, uh, uh, while you're watching these uh, uh, Nazi parades and Hitler speeches. I mean, I thought I was like, all right, sweet. We're in for a fucking ride here. Uh, but I don't think it ever really lived up to that, to the promise of that awesome montage mm. at the beginning. But, yeah, th- that was a great example of an inspired moment. That made me laugh. I mean, there was some good physical comedy, like when the training and stuff, when the kid gets blown up, you know, that made me laugh. Yeah. And, you know, I, 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 I was saying earlier that all of the Nazis were pretty much cartoon characters, and I still kind of believe that. But there was Sam Rockwell's whole arc was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 that was another highlight. Mm. Um, you know, he was one. You know. Because, yeah, again, do you think that he his kind of protecting of Jojo at the end, is that not him kind of revealing that he has that spark of, quote, goodness in him, too? Like, do you think, again, yeah. that there's that idea? Maybe maybe yeah. it's naive and maybe it's Redemption. overly sentimental. Uh, yeah. Kind of. It's, he just seemed over yeah. it. Like, he seemed like he probably believed going into the war and the war itself had made him a realist and made him realize that it was all a kind of dumb, hateful facade and meant nothing. Which is why he's willing to kind of fall on his sword. I mean, of course, too, like he he helps Elsa out, you know, in that moment where he like re lets her say the wrong birthday to Jojo's sister's passport or whatever. And then, you know, lets the lets him lets himself get murdered so Jojo can get away. I just I don't know, I just felt like that. Like he was he was the, the example of someone realizing how bad it was. But like then it's still like still like a Nazi and like yeah. a Nazi lieutenant. That's true. And we I mean he also... it pretty quickly. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he also, he might feel jaded because he gets discarded because of his own injury and he feels like he's useless 
uh, because he doesn't he doesn't have like the physical prowess anymore, even though he can still shoot like a badass. Mm-hmm. And he's like, fuck, here I am stuck training these kids when I should be, you know, doing my duty on the front lines. And so maybe there's a sense in which he also feels like that he was left behind, that like that like somehow that he was betrayed. And so that maybe at the end when he's starting to side and kind of, yeah, he's still a Nazi and um, he should be held accountable for his contributions to this hateful regime that there's a sense in which it's kind of like, okay, even even he felt spurned and maybe he was just suppressing that, not allowing himself to really feel that sort of. I don't know. I'm being totally sentimental and this is not normally like me, but for some reason I'm trying to defend this film. I love it. I love it. I love sentimental. Austin, it's great. It brings some warmth and heart into this otherwise cold and analytic podcast. <laughs> um, I, I, I kind of wish too that like, like – you know, N- Nazis are usually kind of just symbols in movies. They they, they they rarely get into like actually like the historical like like how did how did we get here kind of a film. You know, like and we really don't get that in this movie either for good reason because you're kind of supposed to be seeing it from a kid's point of view who's get, who's already indoctrinated into it. But it, to me, mm. maybe this is just me reaching. But I, it would have been nice to have some somebody some adult Nazi explaining. You know. Like and not just saying, oh, you know, screw the Jews, but like really uh, somehow explaining cinematically how they got to this ideology, you know, like these people did. And uh, we really don't get that. You know, they they start out as buffoons and then and then we're just supposed to accept. All right. Yeah. Nazis obviously suck. And I mean, I believe that, but it's like I kind of like them to tell me why, too, or or show me. Yeah, kind of. I felt like there was this. I was not, I wanted to say haunted, but that's a little bit dramatic. I, I was very aware that the movie also doesn't acknowledge the existence of the Holocaust. I don't think at all, which is what it is, but I felt that a little bit. Like, I, I guess the fact that we only have one Jewish character in the film, um, in, in Elsa, who doesn't leave, you know, the house until the very end to dance to David Bowie, I, I did feel that that lack. Um, and, you know, we we saw scenes of war and training, but that was kind of left to the side. And, of course, I think it would have been harder to be goofy about that and to have Sam Rockwell and Rebel Wilson making, you know, silly quips about Auschwitz. But but I still do feel like there's an intensity to World War Two and, and Germany in World War Two. I don't know. I feel like you kind of got to, like, take it all on or don't. But But I felt like it was a little half assed in that way. Mm. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, I mean... Sorry, I brought the tone down. I didn't mean to. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess since I'm the uh, since I'm the defender of the film, I mean, I think that there's part of a reason why, right? Because, because if you just tell this story in like a really simple microcosmic way, which is I think kind of what this story does, right? Then I think the general principles open up to it. So even though the film doesn't talk about that and you only get a couple of even like insights into the the uh, the allied powers but there isn't really an explanation of like like why are they the good side why are they not the uh why are they not the the, the nazis like what motivates them is there yeah. anything like that and i think part of the reason is just because it's it's meant to be that really simple exploration of the distorted imagination but that that spark of humanity always persists and so it's that's the mm-hmm. universal general idea that like that like hey the nazis were evil they committed these atrocities but that's only because they were like repressing or distorting the beauty of what it means to be human which is found its kind of most potent realization in love and connection and in beauty yeah. and truth and and in hope and things like that 
I guess I get, I, I mean, I, I pretty much agree with you. I would just say that that is, I guess, maybe for my cinephile taste, too simple of a story. You know, like I, <laughs> I it was just kind of, I, I yeah. very much felt like I was just watching a after school special kind of about hate. <laughs> you know. Wow. Yeah. I did think that the second act dragged on. I, I thought that for me, so I thought the first act was really nice. I also agree with you, Michael, that the third act was really nice. The second act, once we first are introduced to Elsa, there were some moments that really dragged, and it wasn't until her relationship with JoJo starts to kind of blossom a little bit that for me it started to pick up again. But I'd say the first, so at like the first half hour, 35-ish minutes, I thought was really nice. It moved really well. Then when she's introduced, for some reason it actually slowed down, which is, you know, like a great trick mm-hmm. of screenwriting is, you know, second act you're introduced or at the end of the first act you're introduced to like a new character or something like that, right? And so you, and the idea is, is that it keeps the momentum. But of course, what is the great cliche in screenwriting? Second act problems, second act problems. And I thought this oh, film had I some second act them. problems that really, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and so for me, that was, it really slowed the momentum. But then it kind of redeemed itself by the end of the second act into the third act. So I do, from a pacing, from a cinematic perspective, I, I I do think that it wasn't a perfect film. That's why I said I really liked this film, but I don't think it's like What We Do in the Shadows, which is, I think, his my favorite film. Or so like good. Hunt for the Wilder People, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, so what do we, here's what I wonder. So... And I, I guess he had to add the the sort of descriptor of the anti-hate satire thing because there was controversy when the movie was coming out. So I don't know if that's something yeah. he'd, he'd aimed at initially to say. But what do we think he, he wanted to do with this film? Because I think it's an ambitious movie in terms of what he takes on. And we know Taika Waititi is a, is a thoughtful guy. He's a funny guy. He's someone who uh, has a relatively unique voice. For people that get to make movies that cost a lot of money in Hollywood, truly like uh, one of the smartest, most unique voices that gets to do that. What, what do you all this think? Is that Thor, this is that thor ragnarok leash you know when you make a film like like a marvel film that is super crazy positive and everyone is licking your balls this is the kind of film you can make it's this is not the kind of film i was just gonna say what a swing you know like like uh you know (laughs) this is his big chance you know he gets to make whatever movie he wants and then his blank check movie and this and this is what he made you know uh, but it's nominated for six academy awards no it's great i I mean honestly more power to him uh uh, yeah uh, the Lighthouse. Did you guys see The Lighthouse? That's another one yeah, where yeah. it's like the it guy makes crazy. the bitch. It's really uh, 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 lauded. And then he makes a fucking 16 millimeter black and white movie about <laughs> drunk sailors yeah. in a lighthouse. It's like, that's your yeah, movie yeah. that you pick to make? At, you make <laughs> love to see it. You really do. It's like box office poison. <laughs> but uh, Well, so then, so, so why though? Why, why do we think, and I'm asking this to get inside the mind of a, a man from New Zealand that I imagine neither of us know. Um, but if you do, that's cool. Uh, what, what did, why did he make this swing? Why is this the movie he made? I mean, from, from mm-hmm. what I understand, he's Maori Jewish, right? Yeah, I think he's, so, yeah, I think one of his parents is Jewish. I was just going to say, I think he has a personal connection, but also, like, I, I think he's certainly kind of reading the zeitgeist, you know, like saying, like, hey, you know, the world yeah. could use an anti-hate uh, uh, satire or whatever you, the fuck you want to call it. But also his sensibilities are just kind of so, I mean, which I love. Like, we don't have enough, like, positive, you know, sentimental filmmakers out there that are like you know not i mean he, mm. it's ironic filmmaking but it's like it's got a heart to it and uh uh and i think he, he kind of was like hey how can i blend my talents making that kind of a movie with kind of a message that would resonate with you know today and i think that that was kind of his I, his idea and he, and he wanted to make a kid's movie too yeah 
Yeah, and rather than saying sentimental, I just thought maybe maybe it's sincere. And you know how there's that new sincerity movement in literature that people generally attach to, like David Foster Wallace and stuff. And and we did a video on Bo Burnham that Michael actually wrote, Hala. Um, so so I think that there's something that this I think that he is a very sincere person. He's using the irony and the satire mm-hmm. and the jokes, but it's not just to deconstruct and leave you in the nothingness. It's also with a very sort of romanticism that's infused into it. And I think that's what he's kind of saying is that we live in a world where there's rising fascism around the world you know um look at victor orban look at what's going on in turkey look at the the uh look at modi in india obviously issues with trump and uh some of the nationalistic sentiments that are being drawn up in the states and then in the uk with brexit and so he's looking at the world and there was just a huge uh terrorist attack in christchurch in new zealand which is his home country right and so he's kind of looking around the world and he's looking at this emergence of hate and i think this is his way as a humorous goofy critic, but also someone with a sincere heart who is a bit of maybe a a sentimentalist and a romantic himself. This is his way of trying to contribute to addressing that, what he sees maybe as like an emerging problem. Mm. Yeah. I mean, and you, you see that, that sweetness and and that optimism in the way the movie, what the way he chooses to end the movie, which is two kids more or less slowly starting to dance to We Can Be Heroes by David Bowie. In German. A song with a lot of emotional resonance. (laughs) Yes, in German. In German. And a song, you know. um, And I think, I I might be wrong on this, so if I am someone, uh, you know, write an email and tell me to, like, jump off a bridge or something. But I think Bowie recorded that album in Germany as well, or, like, Berlin or something. So there's a little bit of overlap there. Um, I'm probably just making stuff up. But I, I think the ending is, like, sweet. But for me, I think the first time I saw it in the theater... After going through that emotional experience, I thought it was really nice. Um, and, of course, that touches back on his mother, Rosie, telling him earlier in the film, you know, fuck all this war shit. Sometimes you just got to dance. You need to be human. You have to laugh and love. And, you know, Rosie equates freedom and dance in the film. So I like how he tied that thread together. Of course, and so that's me leaning to the the Austin side of things. And for anyone watching, I'm now trying to physically move where I am on the screen. But leaning to the, the Ryan side of things uh, is the fact that, you know, at the end it's like, okay, so we shouldn't be, be Nazis and we should dance. Um, which, I, as someone who's not a Nazi and enjoys dance, great. <laughs> um, but, and, and I'll say this too for everything we're saying, I... This is the reason I don't think I, I want to say anything too negative about the film. He took a swing to make a co- comedy that had some political guts to it, and no one's really done that recently. We're living in a weird mm. political time. Like Austin just listed off all the reasons. I feel like in a lot of other points in history, things are going on politically, and comedians and comedic writers of that era are able to respond in interesting ways. I feel like it's been pretty flat the past three or four years. So I like that he swung for something. But yeah, he was just too naive. Like to see more guts. No, no, we, I, 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 no, I just think that uh, I honestly think it comes down to the screenplay. Like, uh, uh, I think he's a perfectly competent director. Obviously, like it looks great. I think that he just, uh, I don't know, maybe mis miscalculated the screenplay in my opinion in terms of how mm. effective or funny it would be. Yeah. I mean, I did wonder, and this is me, and Austin, I feel like this is something you would know a lot more about, so hopefully I'm just throwing you a softball pitch here. Sorry to build pressure. Um, But I did wonder if one of the points it was making as well was kind of something, and to get a little Freudian Lacanian here, 
about cultural superego and this idea that that often in culture we find our our father so to be whether it's in a religious system or a political system and we know of course germany leading in the world war ii germany's in a turmoil where like who are we as a country what are we as a nation and hitler and his buds pop up and say here you go here here's a new a new idea to to, to have the superego that that's why it's the fatherland right the name of the father there and of course jojo is fatherless so we have a fatherless boy who maybe represents a more you know un- unconscious fatherlessness of the german people who finds meaning there, finds a new master signifier in national socialism, lets the superego make sense of his life, read that way, that maybe Watiti is saying something about how we, we might be doing that now, and we do that throughout history. We replace a sort of cultural void or a lack of a superego with the shit that, that kind of slides right in there and says, I'll be the father now. Totally. And you know what's amazing? And then who is the protagonist in this story is the mother, because she's the one who is contrary to the logic of the father. The logic of the father is uh, here. So up to go full Lacanian and use Zizek, actually. So the logic of the father is the imaginary. It's the thing that you use to cover over the gaps and the contradictions. So Germany is experiencing this economic depression. So what do they do? They scapegoat the Jews. They scapegoat the gays. They scapegoat the special the people with special needs. They scapegoat everybody else, the communists. And uh, they create this imaginary new signifier, the, the fatherland right which covers over those contradictions so you don't actually have to deal with the contradictions so Zizek says that that's the logic of the obsessive the logic of the of the obsessive that scapegoats that covers over the gaps we might say that's the imaginary and then he says um and then that's the logic of fascism for Zizek that that's what it does is it essentially is obsessive it covers over it, it gets obsessed with and it has to perpetually push aside the real truths of the contradictions that led to this economic depression, that led to the, the, the negative situations within the society of Germany at that time and during the interwar period, you know. Um, and they'd actually go back to obviously decades prior to that, to the First World War and beyond even before that. Um, and then, of course, what you have then is Scarlett Johansson, whose character is not the father. It's not the logic of the father. And she's trying to say, stop. Stop. Your father's she's not saying it in a mean way because she doesn't really even have the heart to maybe even address what's going on with the father. Is he a war deserter? Is he a traitor, quote unquote, to the fatherland? But still her kind of like otherness as being outside of that logic of the father, that logic of the obsessive, it offers us a different way of viewing the world. And I think there's something then about the feminine here that is really important. And I don't know, was he raised by a by a single mother or something like that? Taika himself? Do we know? Because it feels like that. Like, like I was raised by a single mother. I don't know. Um, and so I kind of, I get that, you know? Like, my father was still in the picture, but I get that they were very different in how they raised me. And there was, like, the logic of my father, which was be a man, be critical, be analytical. And then my mom is like, be an artist, and let's go hang out at the theater, and here are my gay friends. And my dad is, like, the conservative Christian that's like, no, it's going to rub off on you kind of thing. And, you know, um, my parents were never married, so I was able – I had, like, 90% mom, 10% of my dad. And so I kind of see that. Well, to butt in for one second, that, and just to be clear on this for, for the listener, but in the, like, Lacanian, Zizekian world, when we're saying feminine and masculine, it doesn't necessarily mean penis and vagina in a literal sense. We're talking about f- masculine and feminine logic. I, but I think that maps on in the film well. But just so that's like an interesting side of it too, and of course works in this film. And I think you're absolutely right. Um, but just in case anyone thought that that Zizek and Lacan were that basic, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so so and ScarJo, her character, I think, becomes the kind of she's she's like the the conceptual hero 
in this. Yeah. 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 And I think, and this not to deflate all the awesome stuff you said, and that's my dream to throw a softball pitch and have you hit a, hit a home run like that. <laughs> um, but, and I know we don't normally go down this road too much on this podcast. I just want to say as well, I thought I'm not the biggest ScarJo head. Um, lo- loved her performance. I love her. Uh, yeah. I thought it was great. And, and going into it, um, you know, I thought in a lot of ways she was the emotional center of it. You're totally right that she was the one that offered this whole other logic, like a, a counter logic to the entire situation that built that tension. And then, of course, just so we can talk about it a little bit, we don't have to. Um, I found the beginning of the third act when JoJo finds her hanging in the square, oh. a chilling and, and really powerful. Yeah, that was I, I just got chills right I now. I see it coming. I just got chills right now, yeah. Um, everything that set up to that 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 scene, we just thought yeah. that Jojo and Elsa made it out from the Gestapo. He's mm-hmm. in the square. He sees a butterfly, and I thought the choice to just show her her shoes as well mm. um, was 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 great directing. A really gut punch of a scene. I, I that's a, that's a part of the film I have no qualms about. I'm a Jojo. I'm a Scarjo fan. I'm a ScarJo fan. I just, I'm a ScarJo fan, not just because she's beautiful. I think I think as an actor, she she suffers from that thing that we get. Like Chris Evans has this problem too. They're so beautiful that it's hard for us to take them seriously. And I think Brad Pitt had this for a really long yeah. time. And it wasn't until he got a little bit older. It, the problem is he's still fucking gorgeous. But it's like, but it, there's a, it's hard to take somebody like Chris Evans seriously because he's so beautiful but then he does Snowpiercer and he just puts on a hat and a beard and that's how they make him not as attractive right um and he does that has dirt on his face and then you're like okay he's but he's actually it. a really that's good actor I do this too yeah you know yeah is that why? <laughs> is that why yeah um and then like but I think with ScarJo too is that she's so beautiful that that we it's hard sometimes for us to take her seriously because she's viewed as like a sex icon or something like that but actually I think she's really good dude she's she, she has proven herself man did you guys watch Marriage Story she came through hot. She's she throwing heat. Yeah. And by wow. hot, I don't mean physically. I mean her performance was awesome. She threw heat. She she rightfully is nominated yes. for two Academy Awards. I don't know so if we'll she should be nominated for this, this movie though. She's barely in the fucking movie, you know. But she's best best supporting for this one. Right. I think, Dude, right? Anne Hathaway won so in Les Mis, and Anne Hathaway um, is in like six minutes of Les Mis, and she won so. <laughs> well, and I I also didn't really think her accent was that conv- uh, like like real <laughs> i don't know i'm accent wise no one gave a shit like i think the the way in which like we got all the german music but a lot of different accents in this movie yeah. from like english with a german tinge to full-on english to like sam yeah. rockwell kind of sounded like i don't know a drunk person <laughs> that was just listening to I mean, don't like you think that was kind david of the point, hasselhoff though? music like, like yeah like, the tyke is kind of like eh, fuck it. i, I you like know, that they like, leaned into his... that yeah totally 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 um, wait, so before we wrap up, any, any other thoughts, anything we, ha- anything we have not covered about this movie that is burning a hole in your young non-Nazi pro dancing hearts? What's y'all's favorite, uh, uh, what's y'all's favorite Holocaust movie? Let's uh, go around, uh, pianist over here. <laughs> wow. That's good. Um, I'm going to go, I think, uh, is it son of Saul? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a good pick. Yeah. I don't know if I'll ever watch it again because it was such a I- intense uh, viewing experience. But but I th- that movie just really knocked me on my ass. So yeah, Austin. Yeah, I'll say the Ninth Day. It's a German film with August Deal. Mm. Um, and I've never seen that one. 
It's brilliant. It's uh, it's about a, a a Catholic priest who's thrown into the camps. Have either of y'all seen the boy in the striped pajamas? Yeah, I was yeah. thinking about that too when you asked favorite. That's that that was a a very powerful film. I don't know if I love. I don't think it's like a one of the best Holocaust films, but in terms of fucking gut punch, yeah, dude. Right. Right. And there's there's a French movie that I just like am not I can't think of the name of it now. French movie came out about 12 years ago um about a uh French Catholic priest that goes into the camps um as an act of solidarity oh. and the 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 main actor is the guy that that Amelie falls in love with and Amelie um and I'm embarrassed oh. that I can't remember it. And I'll think mm. of it, and I can I'll I'll tweet about it later if anyone wants to see when I remember <laughs> it. Um, so so let's end with this real quick. Uh, if someone, if this pops up on streaming, someone has a free night. Do you think they should watch it? No. Austin. Fuck fuck yes, fuck yes. Okay, Absolutely. so we have a no and a fuck yes, and I'm gonna say uh, yeah, why not? So take that for what you will. Um, my so, my reason is just because uh, there's other movies out there that I feel like are yeah you know you should watch instead. I mean if sure if you're okay. bored out of your mind yeah. to watch this movie you'll get something out of it. If you're unemployed, if your grandparents started the Nabisco company, they left you a ton of money. You're now independently rich with nothing to do. Yeah, fuck it, watch it. But also send us some money. Go watch Colorado um, Space instead. That's my recommendation. All of you people out there on the internet. Color Out of Space is the movie to go see in the theaters right now. You'll don't watch there anything, don't read anything. You'll you'll thank me. Um, well, it's great. And then you know what? While we're giving people recommendations, as always, genuine shout out to everyone who calls, everyone who emails. We we really love it. We read them all. We listen to them all. Sure. Um, you are a a part of this podcast, and I mean that genuinely. Even though it sounds like I'm being kind of silly, I really mean that. So if you do want to call us, the number is one two one three five three four eight eight zero seven. I'll say that again: one two one three five three four eight eight zero seven. And then because no one, you don't want to talk on the phone. It makes you uncomfortable. You probably want to email. So in that case, you go to movies at wisecrack.co. No M. No M. Movies at wisecrack.co. We got we got a lot. Um a lot from last week. Um we have voicemails galore. We have emails galore. We could do a whole separate podcast, all the great stuff we got. I want to start though. We do have a voicemail jumping back two weeks about a serious man. Okay. So let's start with that. And then we got a ton of 1917 stuff. We'll probably have to summarize a lot of it. We're gonna start with a voicemail from Jason. Hey, this is Jason. Uh, I'm just watching your live podcast right now about uh, the uh, – you guys are talking about a serious man. I'm just curious what you think about uh, in the book written by uh, Robert McKee called Story about uh, screenwriting. It uh, posits that the main character of any film has a, a lie that they believe in, that they start out the film where they they struggle throughout the film getting over that lie that they – that they have a, a pure belief in that they, they, their conflict is dealing with that character lie that they ultimately either resolve by the end of the film and they're now like heroes are able to become heroes because they get over that lie. But maybe there's also failure in it too when they're unable to and maybe they're not even in control of the lie itself. So I don't know. I find that interesting as far as the story structure goes for storytelling. Maybe you guys could. That's yeah, that's cool. That's a, a, a very classic screenwriting book. Good point. Uh, what do we think? How, how would we apply that the notion of the the main character having that lie they believe into a serious man? Austin, you got thoughts? I saw your head moving. 
No, I just, uh, John Truby is a script doctor who writes a lot about that as well. And uh, it's the idea that there's like a moral failure in the main character and that that main character's journey through the process of self-revelation at the very end is when they come to reconcile the fact that they were uh, lying to themselves, that they did have that moral failure. And then they overcome that and then now they're in a new world and they can never go back to the world as it was before because they've changed. They no longer are lying to themselves, at least in the same way, maybe in other ways, but that that's like a, a key way and so then my question is is in a serious man what's the lie what's the lie that he's telling himself is the lie that the, the life makes sense that there has to be a yeah, maybe understandable structure and he, he refuses to give up the lie and he never has a moment of transformation he never has like the reversal of recognition and ne- never gets to overcome that Maybe the lie is just that he he yeah, maybe, if he yeah. just lives right as a good guy and is a serious man he'll be a, a a serious man and everything will be cool yeah that's the lie yeah. wow he believes and God will reward him lies yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's good yeah. well well thank you Jason for bringing that up um and I'm just glad we got a call and if you if you didn't hear that we did serious man a couple weeks ago go listen to it um so let's do oh there's so many 1917 voicemails let's see what Andrew has to say. What up, film fans? This is Andrew from Nebraska. Uh, first off, thanks for all you do. I love all your pods. Uh, shout out Culture Binge. <coughs> Serby do mukbang. <coughs> uh, I just want to make a few comments about your most recent pod, about 1917, more specifically about my interpretation of the ribbons and some of the theme. Um, so when you guys talk about Schofield's ribbon, how he doesn't really um, need it or want it, you guys, it, to me, it seems like you interpreted it as that he's the kind of soldier that um, would rather have a bottle of wine than a ribbon, but to me it seemed more of uh, Schofield was the type of soldier that has seen so much shit that this ribbon is just a reminder of the horrific events that happened and maybe the friends that died, um, because a lot of times in in war military soldiers are with. Now, moved around a lot. There were different squads, and so maybe this is some um, history that Blake has never seen with Schofield. That's why he didn't understand um, why he didn't like the ribbon and what the ribbon was for. Yeah, that's what do you guys think? That's a good take on that. I, uh, yeah, good. good. Yeah, there was an email there. where someone. Yeah. Someone mentioned that, like, uh, that the implication is that he fought in some, like, was it the meat grinder or some, like, really awful uh, battle? I, I don't remember. I have this in front of me. Yeah, I don't know anything. This is because our listeners are smart as shit. Uh, it references that he was in the Battle of Somme, one of the bloodiest battles in history. So so maybe I'll say this right now. Um, we had a bunch of emails on this, but we had a really d- detailed one from a guy named David, another one from someone named Ryan. Great name. Um, and, bo- and both of them brought this idea up that there's, there's backstory in so much of the film and that so much of 1917 in the background is the actual history of World War One, of actual battles that were happening at that time, of the actual locations where they were at. Um, and just to give a, and this is once again, not research I did, this is our listener, David. You know, he said that this all reveals that uh, Schofield's at the Battle at Somme in offensive in 1916, which gave the British Empire its worst day in terms of casualties, over 50,000 in a single day um, yeah. in the entire history up until now. So that th- it was just like the bloodiest, gnarliest battle of the war up until that point. Yeah, so what we get is that we get a, a sort of jaded, grizzled, beaten down, I just want to go home, Schofield, rather than 
um, adventurous or I don't care. It This is more just I had my naive uh, idealism like my buddy does now, but I have had that shattered. Well, and it's now like I'm this guy doing... has seen some shit. Yeah, and now he's just doing his fucking duty. And now he's just doing his duty so that he can just get home. Uh yeah, and, and and David brings up in his email at this point, it's a little more general, this is his TLDR, he says, context is everything, maybe not everything, but for historical dramas, it can be incredibly impactful. Should awareness of context be considered when judging historical dramas, or is that too subjective? Which I think is a really good question of like about like what we know. I know like after, I didn't know shit about Dunkirk, and I saw the movie, and then afterwards, was like, oh, yeah. And then when I watched it again, I felt like the movie was more impactful. Um, I mean, what do y'all think though? Should we, do we gotta, should we have paid good attention in our history classes to properly appreciate historical films? Should the films stand on their own? Um, I, uh, uh, I, I kind of like the idea of, you know, you make a war movie and it can be appreciated if you're a true war scholar and you're like, oh man, it's almost like there's a million Easter eggs. You're like, that's what, you know, this is all like a period, uh, uh, this is all canon or whatever the... I forget the, 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 there's a right word for it. Either way, um, uh, I think it's cool that, that you can appreciate on that level. But then also, if you don't know anything about that, it doesn't matter. It's just, you know, it's still entertaining. You know? Yeah. Nice. Um, anything else on that? Or we want to check out another e- uh, voicemail? Let's Moving go to the on. Next one, Let's do yeah. it. Um, so this is, this is Kevin. Kevin, good name. I have a cousin named Kevin. He's a nice hey guy. Hey, guys. Kevin from uh, Virginia. So I was just calling in about 1917. I picked up a different vibe from why he traded away that metal for the bottle of wine. I was thinking it was more so based on him not wanting the metal sent home instead of himself. Kind of like a, why would the metal matter more than my life to my family, to my wife and kids? That's an interesting point. Mm. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Kevin. Yeah, that's really good because people love to talk about like the the old stereotype in the movies, at least. And then I had a, a grandfather who served in the military was, look at my medals, look at the things that commemorate, right? And so rather yeah. than this being a like a, a physical memory, it's like, no, I'm going home sort of thing. Mm. Wow. That's, that's impactful, that idea that you don't want to just be that medal that gets sent home to your kids. Boy, yeah, war yeah. movies make you think about stuff. Um Ryan, thoughts on that one? If not, I'm going to... I think you guys said it uh, pretty good. Yeah, good email right. or voicemail. Thanks. Uh, yeah, everyone's killing it. Let's hit up... Well, let's do one more. So we got... This is... And I'm not being biased here because I identify as a Michael. Um, let's see what Mike has to say. Hey, Wisecrack. This is Mike from New York. I uh, just wanted to offer a thought after your fantastic discussion of uh, 1917 last episode. Uh, particularly, I wanted to focus on a question that Mike posed early on, which was, you know, does this have anything to contribute to the larger discussion on war? Uh, I think the answer is yes, but, but quite simply because of its choice to use World War I as the backdrop. And I think this is significant for a few reasons, the first being something you guys talked about in the video a few years ago on, on Battlefield One that sort of cinematic portrayals of war coincide with the political temperament of the time. And World War I has kind of entered the popular culture now uh, more and more in, in Wonder Woman and Peter Jackson's recent colorization of, of World War I footage and they shine awkward old. Uh, as you see the end of American dominance in international politics and return to the sort of multipolar system that existed in 1917. So, you know, why this is important is because the villain of the story is not a state or even a person, but really the war itself. And uh, the second point kind of builds on that, which is that when you strip that kind of white hat, black hat mentality from war, 
uh, of a kind that World War II films often embrace in, in popular culture, then World War I soldiers are largely portrayed as victims rather than as crusaders for a cause. And it's that quote-unquote cause that, you know, gives war at least ostensibly a meaning, you know. But when stripping nationalism and the exchange of the metal for wine that you discussed, you know, perhaps in a Sartrean sense, the indifferent chaos of such a war is a microcosm for the indifference of the universe, if you want to go in that direction. But Wow. He knows his audience. Um, yeah. That was a great, great voice one, though, Mike. Wow. Standing up. Yeah. Austin, he said something with Sartrean. <laughs> I know. I, I got nothing to add. I just I think that's great. And yeah, I that was great on that. No, same. Like that, if anything, that voicemail is just a reminder, it's speaking of historical context, to go back and learn more about World War One. And I think especially that idea that, you know, being over 100 years from that, that we're, the, the movie's able to reflect a sort of like national polarity and instability that is reflected in this moment. Um, and I guess that idea too, to compare that to a World War II movie, where in a World War II movie it starts and our brains are like, good guy, bad guy, immediately from a young age, any World War II thing we know. Whereas in World War I, it's just like, what's happening? Why is this happening? Why are they fighting? Who's good? Who's bad? Like, and that point about them being victims. Sorry, I'm just reiterating everything good that Mike just said. I'm gonna shut up. I, I love the idea. It was good. That uh, or, or the line when he said that uh, uh, you know the war itself is the villain of the movie because that is you know that Unreal. is something to chew on like you said. Thank you, Mike. Shit. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mike. And and once again, thank you to if we did not play your voicemail, read your email. We got it. We've we've cared about it. We've listened to it. It's good. Please keep doing that. So once again, call us at one two one three five three four eight eight zero seven. Email movies at wisecrack.co. We would love to hear what, what your thoughts are on Jojo Rabbit. This is a very, you know, we 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 had three people, three opinions. Interject. Give us more than that. Send I want to have 19 opinions me. by the end Write of this. Write to me. I'm going to read it all, all right? If you love this movie, I want to read it, all right? Tell me. Persuade Yo, okay. me. Tell me why this movie yes. fucking rocks, all right? Yeah, so if you if you hated the movie in the subject line, put Ryan's name in it. Join if me. you thought it was okay, Michael, and if you liked it a lot or loved it, put Austin's in yeah. there. We can sort you out yeah. that way. Um, Good system. Uh, this does now. This concludes back to back war movies. We've gone from World War One to World War Two. Wow. In case anyone's wondering, we are not doing a movie about the Korean War next week. Um, all I can say <laughs> is that we're not talking about. As far as I know, we're not talking about war next week. I've yet to see the movie. I do not think this is one about war, and I will leave it at that. The audience can can make what they want. Um, so, hey, this has been fun. This has been great. You know, we, we learned. This has been great. And uh, thank you to everyone for sticking around while we did this. This has been Michael with Austin and Ryan, and we've done a Show Me the Meaning. Yeah. Is that our outro? Yeah. Is that, is that our time where we say goodbye? I think I did a bad job. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm sorry. So, yes. So, no. I'm okay. So, that now for the listener, for everyone on here, I'm formally entering the outro period. And I'm going to try to, to, to tee Ryan off. Ryan, I know there's a thing you got to say, and I want you to say it. So, I'm going to do this. This has been Show Me the Meaning. I've been Michael. He's been Austin, and he's been Ryan. See ya. Goodbye from Hollywood, California. This has been Show Me the We did it. He did it. It all worked out. Teamwork makes the dream work. Thanks. Come back next week. We love this. Peace. I love you all.